and uh, look out and see some expectant faces. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, a talk I once heard Ramdas give, and he began the talk with the idea that those who teach don't know, and those who know don't teach, and then wondered how to go on from there. <laughs> I think I said yesterday, this is a meditation retreat, in case you... <laughs> and so, with the emphasis that's given to meditation, with the, you know, that filling up the schedule all day long, one can sometimes end up with the idea that that's what Dharma practice is. Meditation. And even though people uh, would profess to have a wider view than that, I often hear people talking about practice as meditation. You might notice for ourselves the degree to which, if, you're, uh, if you have some history of Dharma practice, the degree to which you equate your practice, dharma practice, practice of awakening and freedom, the degree to which you equate that with meditation. Because chances are, when you leave here tomorrow, your schedule will be somewhat different So it would be a tragedy if we thought we could or if we tried to reduce the breadth and depth of awakening and freedom, the practice of awakening and freedom to meditation practice. But because, as I say, the kind of... um, you know, meditation is extremely significant in this tradition. And certainly in a place like Gaia House, pretty much everything Gaia House does is meditation retreats. So one could be forgiven for thinking that that's what Dharma practice is. And it's interesting, when the Buddha described the breadth of the practice of awakening... He spoke about you know, the whole territory of human existence, the whole territory of human interaction, looking at our speech, our intentions, our relationships, our lifestyle. And having a sense of practicing within that. So I'd like to just look a little bit at a model, one of the Buddha's models of that, 
There's many different ones of them. But I'd like to look at the model, which, if you're familiar, of Sila Samadhi Panya. Means, Sila means virtue, sometimes translated as ethics, but I prefer virtue. Samadhi, which we've been exploring, is that settling, and Panya means wisdom. Somebody asked yesterday about the five precepts. And I mentioned this kind of larger context of respect for life, of non-harming. And how important that is. And the Buddha considered it foundational. In fact, all spiritual traditions really consider it foundational. We talked this morning about goodness the goodness of one's practice, the goodness of the field in which we're practicing. The fact that we're really living here in a blessings field, I could say, over these days. In fact, we're actually always living within a blessings field. But when we give thought and attention to it, it can really stand out in a place like this, where we're really surrounded by so much care, so much support. That's the support of one another in being here. We could wonder how long we would have lasted if we'd been following the schedule on our own. And then we see, wow. The support that we've received from everybody else here just by their presence. And similarly, the support that we've contributed to, that we're contributing to, by our presence, each one of us, for everyone else. So if we start to reflect in this way, we start to recognize that goodness. It stands out to us. It touches the heart to realize, wow, what? great good fortune what precious conditions gratitude appreciation sensitivity care for and uh, warmth towards all those we feel the support of naturally arises when we see in that way But we tend to not notice the blessings that are all around us, the blessings that are supporting us. Because we tend to put me, I was saying a couple of days, at the centre of things so much. Which has that blinkering effect. We tend to block out all of that, because my story, my pain, my issues, my future, my relationships, my problems, my neurosis, my insights, my mind states, my this and that, fills up so much space. So what the Buddha calls sila really is the practice of goodness. 
of recognising the goodness that's present in any situation. And as much as we can of contributing to that field of goodness. In whatever way we're moved to, in whatever way the situation presents us with. I was teaching in Paris a short time ago and uh, in the centre where I was teaching there there was a leaflet for a, a charity that fed homeless people and they had a little kind of parable on the back of this leaflet which involved a, a girl on a beach I think in New Zealand where thousands of starfish had been washed up on the beach and she was throwing them back into the sea and somebody on the beach stopped her and said, what are you doing? She said, look, there's thousands and thousands of these starfish. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see. And carried on throwing them back in. And the person said, but look, there's so many of them. You can't make any difference. And she picked up another one and she said, makes a difference to this one. And threw it back in. It's quite beautiful, in line with what we were, I was saying the other evening, about that movement, neither overwhelmed by the enormity of suffering, neither turning away, neither collapsed in the face of so much, neither hardened against, nothing to do. If we look at our lives... Whatever their context, whatever our relationships, whatever the work we do, whatever, whatever. We exist in a field of so much goodness that supports us. And we have the chance to contribute to that goodness. And that certainly I would call Dharma practice. Dalai Lama is very famous for saying, my religion is kindness. And, you know, given the endless Buddhist intricacies of the nature of mind, we could expect some profundities on one's religion being about emptiness, not self, and the Four Noble Truths. Kindness. Kindness has a radical effect on the heart, a radical effect on our, on others. I don't know. I don't know. We just don't know what the value of meditation might be. If everybody, you know, sometimes you get these emails, circular emails, lots of people are meditating together for some reason. What good does it do? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it does great vibrational good. We don't know. But if everybody that sent these emails practiced kindness for a day, wow, what a difference that would make. That we do know. It's tangible contribution to the blessings field in which our existence happens.
within the uh, Buddhism, if you like, is often a, a lot of valuing of kindness, of compassion. And sometimes, and I think, sometimes there's this sense going along with that that it, Buddhists are very nice people, very gentle people, very sweet people. Sometimes very floppy people. <laughs> we have the association that goodness, that kindness, has to be floppy in some way. And and these often, you know, often I think, if we're honest, lots of people that are attracted to this kind of a practice attracted to silence, going along with the genuine and sincere love of quietitude and love of contemplation, love of silence, love of introspection, can also be a fear of conflict, a sense of, uh, for myself, I certainly recognise, a kind of... um, aversion to the messy, complex stuff of other human beings <laughs> and what they want and what I want and how we're going to try and get it from each other and <laughs> sometimes the authentic act of goodness of care, of kindness, has to be one that's strong. A strong no. A strong putting up of a boundary. A strong explaining of our position. A strong action. Probably some of you have heard me before tell of my friend who was practicing in a monastery in in the Himalayas when, when I was there. And she would, during the monsoon season, she would walk every day up to the monastery where her teacher lived. In the rain, it was a monsoon. And there was a small chai shop, a tea stall on the road, with a kind of unpleasant fellow there. Uh, the tea shop owner who would harass her as she went by, would kind of uh, just be suggestive and kind of... Uh, made her feel threatened and uneasy. So she would practice metta. She went by with the umbrella, maybe happy, maybe be well. (laughs) (laughs) So as she kept going by, just smiling, a bit of metta, the guy got more uh, aggressive, more uh, inappropriate in his behaviour. So she was feeling more uneasy, scared even. Not many people on the road because it's rainy season. And after some time of this, she said to her teacher, look, I've been practicing metta. May he be well, may he be well. It doesn't work. He's just getting worse. And the teacher said, oh, this is muddled metta. He said, the real way to practice metta here is you summon all the loving kindness and goodwill and good wishes in your heart, and then you take your umbrella and whack it. 
It's important that we don't develop some rigid idea of what kindness should look like. You know? And sometimes, again, in Tibetan Buddhism, one gets these, these wrathful deities, you know, the fierce characters. And we need to be fierce sometimes. There's lots of talk in the Tibetan tradition about fierce compassion. Fierce to stand up to uh, bullying and unkindness and... Uh, You know, there's those things that need us to say no, to be strong in that way, in the world and as well as in our inner life, to stand up in that fierce way to the tyranny of our own inner chai shop aggressor. You know, the roadside, the guy at the side of the road, or the guy on the perched on our shoulder, who harasses us in different ways. Yeah, saying the other night about that tendency to ber- to berate and blame oneself should be like this, should be like that, should be better, should be different, should be kind. And we say, oh, okay, okay, I'll try my best. Oh, yes, but you should be like this. Oh, please uh, give me a bit of space. Oh, yes, but you know, it's relentless. We need the umbrella approach. Willingness to really stand our ground for what's authentic. Stand our ground for what's important. Stand our ground to establish our freedom of being. So that's Dharma practice. That ongoing inquiry with ourselves, what what does it mean to practice goodness in this situation? I'm often uh, amused on meditation retreats how often I have the question, how do I? As if we could write a little how-to manual. For each situation. How do I deal with this issue in my life? As if I might know. That's why it's called practice. Because it invites us. There's no magic formulas. You know, we could take up the umbrella. Oh, that's, what, that's what it means. To practice goodness. I, get, well, I need an umbrella. <laughs> That Tibetan teacher said that was the real way to practice and go around swiping people in the name of goodness. You see, I know that's a, a comic example, but that tendency to latch hold of something is, oh, that's the way. You know, to recognise that in our own practice, our, our desperation to find the strategy, the way, the how-to. You know how popular all those how-to books are, the five ways to, you know. How to be happy in eight minutes. It's a true title. I think you're lucky if you can be happy for eight minutes. So it invites us to be willing to not know. To be willing to have to look again and again. 
to discover again and again, to be willing to ask ourselves again and again, what, what is practice in this moment? Important to have a really wide open, creative sense of what Dharma practice is. so that it can find its expression in our lives, in our relationships, in our work. And that, that kind of, um, that, the guide, the heartstone of that, is this sense of recognizing goodness and contributing to goodness. just like some beautiful principle as long as we don't grab it just as that's something I need to do as long as it doesn't become a soundbite because we can't work out we can't tell each other what goodness means in this and that and this and that situation we have to discover it for ourselves as we go along Buddha talks about the goodness of sila as a very direct support for, as the supportive condition for samadhi. That settling. That letting ourselves be. That we spoke about over these days. And I think I mentioned yesterday evening how when there's harshness in our heart, when there's um, ill will, the intention to hurt, deceive, manipulate in some way, no chance to settle. And conversely, the more one practices goodness, the more the heart naturally wishes to settle the more there's ease in the heart. We recognize that what I'm calling a field of goodness or a blessings field. When we contribute to goodness, when we see goodness, when we recognize goodness, when we feel goodness, it resonates. We know it. When we see a a kind action, a genuine kind action, not a kind of self-serving action masquerading as kindness, which we can also see often but when we're the recipient of goodness or when we're the uh, actor in goodness the heart feels it and it relaxes and the more we see that connection the more momentum the process gathers the more the heart finds its ease, its rest. So that settling of samadhi, again, is a practice. And the context that we've seen it in these days being that of meditation very much. I said this morning, 
something about the sincerity of today's practice being the most important condition for the happiness of the rest of our lives or something. I can't remember quite how I said it, but I remember there were a few gasps. We can't underestimate the power of that willingness to just inhabit where we are and uh, land in it, land in ourselves, come back to ourselves. Extraordinary, transformative power of that. And we find that we keep going off and we tend to make that complicated. But if we really look at that process and we have millions of opportunities to look at it because we're constantly going off and noticing we're going off. Every one of those noticings offers us the same opportunity to understand what's happening there. When we're, got, when we're lost in thought, when we're caught up, actually there's no problem. Because we're so caught up, we're not around to war, we're not here thinking, oh dear, I'm caught up. No, we're caught up. Do you see? We're not thinking, oh dear, I shouldn't be caught up. We're not, we're lost, we think we're busy on the beach. There's no pro- we're not here worrying about it, there's no problem. And in the moment that life brings us out of that reverie, that wakes us up, there's no problem. We're not caught up anymore. Well, here we are. There's no problem. It doesn't matter. In that moment of waking up, it doesn't matter if we've been lost for a few moments or many minutes or a couple of weeks. It doesn't matter. There's nothing we can do. But here we are. That coming back after a couple of weeks of being busy with goodness knows what offers us the exactly the same opportunity to settle, to arrive where we are. Soften, to feel whatever tension patterns are going on in the body, to notice that our mind's been racing, to see what state our emotional life is in, to come into gentle contact. Again, I mentioned this morning how samadhi is so often and um, unhelpfully translated as as concentration. I would call samadhi settling into gentle contact. Gentle, settling contact. Always available to us. Always available to us. Not dependent on what we're doing, on who we're with, on the speed that we're moving at, 
All you need is a mind and a body. And meditation itself, as distinct from um, living with awareness, we could look at these activities of life with gentle contact as exploring our life with awareness, bringing awareness to where we're at, to what we're doing to what's happening, to what our reactions are. Exploring life with awareness. And the difference between acting meditatively, I could say, or with awareness, and meditation itself, is that rather than exploring life with awareness, meditation is the practice of exploring awareness itself. And as such is the the engine of the revolution in the heart, in that sense. Now we can be feel inspired by the idea of, oh, in each moment of my life, connecting with what's happening. But it takes practice. It takes establishing a kind of a momentum with that. The power, harnessing the power of our own consciousness. And I'm often surprised and a little disappointed in people that I see regularly on retreats sometimes that value meditation. That's why they keep coming back. Have a sense of Dharma practice is something really important in my life. But somehow between meditation retreats, the meditation peters out. I don't wish to tell anyone that one should meditate. But I think it's worth looking and seeing. If we have the idea that we value Dharma practice, that we value meditation, that it's something important, transformative, it's some beautiful thing in our lives but we're not actually doing it, then there's a gap between the valuing in the idea and the valuing in the being, in the action. So if we're serious about awakening, about Inhabiting life freely. We need to be pretty honest with ourselves about where, where are we actually putting our energy? What are we actually committed to? Not in our idea of what we feel committed to, but in where our attention goes, where our time goes, where our money goes. What kind of relationships we seek out.
And this um, this commitment to samadhi, to settling with ourselves, to recollecting ourselves, to coming back to ourselves, both in meditation and in the life we live, the Buddha says, is the supportive condition for panya, for wisdom. Wisdom is the function of awareness. I'll try to say that better. I said this yesterday about when I was using awareness, it was as an epithet of Buddha, of that which is awake. Wisdom is the natural function of that which is awake, the natural function for discernment, for seeing what's appropriate. For knowing, direct knowing, of how to respond. But in the same way that when I spoke about love the other evening, uh, about how that love which cares and responds and so on, is the natural fruits of of wakefulness. But at the same time we can cultivate that quality, we can orientate ourselves in that way and so too with wisdom reflecting as a practice reflecting on what's wise what's useful what's skillful sometimes we get uh, meditation can be a bit down on thought It's easy to make thought into the enemy of meditation. Even if we've been meditating for a long time, and even if we know that thought isn't the enemy, if we look and see in our practice, we may sniff out the tendency to be subtly um, resistant, to somehow see thought as an interference as a an obstacle to meeting life as if thought isn't that's not life it's in the way between me and life what's thought but life body breathes Birds sing, thought thinks. And our, this extraordinary capacity we have for, humor, humor, for thought in the way that we can harness it in the service of clarity. And reflection in a way that one rests one's, rests one's thought upon something. Oh, what is this? In a kind of exploratory way. For myself, I find walking to be a fantastic posture for reflection. And it's often the way I give a bit of thought 
to what I might say before coming into the hall, which is why I don't come to the sitting before the talk, so that I don't pace up and down here. And something in the rhythm of walking and moving that allows thought to flow like that for me. And what's really helpful with reflection, again, reflection as, as a practice, as an art, and we develop this skill with reflection, the skill of thinking in a bright way, in a way that we can rest our thought upon a subject and open it up. That's very different to the kind of free association that our mind usually does. One thought pops in, oh, and it leads to another, and leads to another. And thought is running the show, dragging us along behind it until we've gotten to the beach, like I said earlier. Until we find ourselves somewhere far away. And you may catch yourself even sometimes thinking, oh, how did I get there? And then you trace your way all the way back again. Oh, I was thinking, oh, yes, and then that came to that. This is called being floppy. There's a great difference between soft and floppy. Wisdom, fruits of that which is awake, fruits of awakening, and that which we can cultivate through reflection through the willingness to look closely, through the curiosity we've been talking about. And wisdom that gets just reflected in so many ways. I'm meeting with you in groups over these days. I'm meeting with you one-to-one these days, some of you. And sitting together, listening for the wisdom. And sometimes just just with the willingness, what's happening there? Oh, where does that come from? And our capacity in the moment when we really listen attentively, wisdom speaks. It's a way in which our life knows how to move. Our experience knows how to unfold. And our practice is one of letting it do that. That's why I bow both ways when I come into the hall. And I walk down the corridor here and see the kind of inspiring representations of awakening that the Buddha statues are. That sense of bowing to awakening and the wisdom that is the revelation of awakening. And I turn around and see the same thing in the other direction. That which is awake in us, and the wisdom that comes out of that which is awake.
Dharma practice is a limitless thing. In its breadth and in its depth. Limitless in its breadth means there's no end to the ways we can be creative to explore our life as practice. And so these ways we've overlooked at a little bit in terms of sila, samadhi, panya. But I hope just to communicate that sense of limitless possibility. It's not in what we do. It's not in where we live. It's not in who we're with. But how are we meeting it? To have that passion to explore as deeply as we can, how am I meeting this? The passion to practice and to make use of wisdom. Our own wisdom, the wisdom of our peers and the wisdom of those uh, people who we respect and trust. I remember once my teacher saying, teachings and practice, practice and teachings, liberation is unstoppable. There's a lot of resources in our lives. May we make the very best use of them for the benefit of each one of us of all those among us and of all beings Okay, so there's about half an hour for some quiet sitting or walking in the peace of the evening. And then we'll have the bell at quarter two for our last short sit of the evening together. Thank you.